This week on Writers Inc. What he started doing was he said, well, write down a list of your favorite things or your favorite people, people that you want to talk about or incidents that you want to talk about. And I'll call you up. We'll talk for an hour each time and, and give me everything you can on that. And in some cases, stories bled from one subject or topic or artist to another, but they were still kind of involved. And you can kind of see that in there when you read it. Whether you are traditionally published or indie, writing a good book is only the first step in becoming a successful author. The days of just turning a manuscript into your editor and walking away are gone. If you want to succeed in today's publishing world, you need to understand every aspect of the business. Editing, formatting, marketing, contracts. It all starts with a good book. Then the real work begins. Join international best-selling author J.D. Barker and indie powerhouse Jay Thorne as they gain unique insight and valuable advice from the most prolific and accomplished authors in the business. The publishing world is changing, adapting. Do you have what it takes to become a full-time writer? If you're willing to do the work, we'll give you the tools. Get your notepad out. School's in session. This is Writer's In. J.D., how you doing today, man? I'm doing good. I'm kind of glued to my window. Um, so it is, we got snow coming down sideways. It's like crazy snowing right now. And it has been pretty much all night. And my neighbor's got a company over there cutting down a tree. Um, and it's like a, a really tall oak tree. It's like maybe, uh, if I had to guess, maybe twice the, the height of his house. Um, and it's like looming over his, his garage. So like it, it definitely needs to go because I, I know it's been dying, like you could tell over the summer. Um, but like this guy is up there, you know, like he hoisted himself up with a chainsaw. And like I can barely even see across the street. So I'm just, I'm, I'm just staring out my window waiting for something to go bad, which is probably bad. It's like driving by a wreck or something and slowing down. You are never going to have a shortage of story ideas living in that house. No, no. <laughs> it's funny what, what you know, is exciting when you're a homeowner, too. Like, I, I got heated gutters installed. I don't know if this is a thing where, where you are, but when we had the last snowstorm, we ended up with these giant icicles, and, like, some of them were, like, three or four feet long, um, and they were hanging over a garden window. So, like, I was just waiting for one of them to come flying down through. So I had a company come out, and they installed heated gutters, and I've been waiting to flip the switch on them and, and actually test them out. I'm like, this is going to be my first shot. So I'm going <laughs> to fire those up when we, when we hang up here, when we finish up and, and see how that works. So uh, uh, heated gutters are actually exciting to me i didn't think my life would actually <laughs> go in that direction or but yeah yeah the joys of home ownership <laughs> yeah heated gutters and people falling from trees that's what's getting me through a thursday <laughs> oh well i don't have anything nearly as exciting as heated gutters but i do want to uh let our listeners know that we are putting out uh, our first writers inc survey so you and i have been talking behind the scenes about what we want to do with the podcast, where like sort of how we want to steer the ship. We're we're a little bit um, over a year into it, and we kind of want to know like who's listening and what you want from it. And uh, that's one thing with podcasting. It's like it's it, unless you ask for feedback, it's hard to figure that stuff out. So even as far as the kind of guests we book or the format that we have, we're really hoping to get some listener feedback. So those there's going to be a link in the show notes. Um, all right, I'm sorry. I'm gonna. I'm, I'm, there's there's gonna be a link sent out. There will also be a link in the show notes if you want to just take the survey. Uh, but we're we're hoping to have it completed by 11:59 p.m. on uh, February 28th. So it'll be up for about a month. Uh, and we're gonna we're gonna pull one random uh, survey person who's gonna get a 30 minute one on one consultation with you, JD. So hopefully that will incentivize some people to uh, give us their thoughts. That's going to scare him away, man. I don't know if anybody wants to do that. <laughs> uh, uh.
<laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll see. But yeah, yeah, no, it's uh, exciting stuff because you know we're, we've obviously been doing this for, like you said, a, a little over a year now, and you know we we do get feedback on the website, and I get a lot of emails from people. But you know, th- this is really for for the listeners and the ability, to, you know, the fact that we can get out there and, and kind of talk to everybody and and tailor it to, to fit what everybody's looking for. That that's exciting stuff. I like it. It is. And we're both data-driven business people and getting some real feedback from real listeners is going to really help us help you. So please, please consider doing it. It's a short survey. It'll take you like five minutes tops and uh, it'll be really helpful for us. So uh, thanks thanks ahead of time for doing the survey. Um, speaking of data, so I, I got a phone call about an hour ago from my, my sales rep at Facebook. Um, apparently this iOS update that we've been talking about is finally rolling out. Um, I, I haven't got it personally on my, my iPhone yet, um, so I'm not sure you know who's got it or, or where it's rolling out or how or what that process is. But um, Facebook, you know, like I didn't have a call scheduled with them. They're they're being proactive about it. And I guess reaching out to um, I don't know if it, you know based on the, the dollars I spend there or whatever. But um, the fact that they reached out to me about it is is kind of surprising. I don't know if that means that they're you know a little nervous about it or if they're just kind of worried about how people are going to react to it. I, I don't know what the case is. Um, but I've got a call scheduled for for Monday. Um, cause I couldn't talk to them today. So we'll, we'll see, you know, what, what it is they're, they're trying to communicate there. Um, I've been watching my ads. I haven't really noticed any, any change, but it sounds like it's really early in this thing. Yeah. I, I think we're just in the beginning of it and I'm, I'm seeing things on some of the, uh, newsletters and, th- and stuff from, uh, Google's pretty worried about it too. And, uh, yeah, I have, uh, hopefully you can report back to us and, and kind of let us know, you know, what, uh, what Facebook is thinking and, and how that's going to impact, uh, ads moving forward. All right. Cool. Well, I want to give a shout out to our wonderful sponsors, Kobo Writing Life. Uh, They empower you, the author, to take your publishing career into your own hands. Uh, You get to set your price, keep all your rights, and there's always monthly promotional opportunities. So if you want to know more about Kobo Writing Life, get on over to KoboWritingLife.com and check it out. We uh, also have another quick announcement. Uh, This is uh, both an announcement and a reminder. So the Career Author Summit 2021 is uh as of today is on for september i believe it's 17th and 18th and um the installment plan goes away on march 1st so if you're looking to spread out the payments you want to come and spread out the payments over six months you have until march 1st uh we have signed on both draft to digital and readsy as sponsors which is fantastic uh great people and uh great companies serving the author community so we're really excited about that and we've just added a new person to the landing page. Who's that? You. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I can't wait. I mean, we, we've been talking about this for a while now. Um, and I honestly, I just want to get out of the house. <laughs> <laughs> I just like, I can't, I can't stare at the walls of my office anymore. I need to get out of here. So, uh, you know, fingers crossed. Uh, this is all, of course, contingent on vaccine rollout and, and other things that are completely out of, out of our control. Uh, uh, we are going to be prepared to roll 100% virtual if we have to, uh, but we are hoping we don't. And it would be wonderful to do the Writers Inc. podcast in front of a live audience in Nashville in September. Fingers crossed. Let's hope we can do it. <laughs> yeah, fingers crossed for sure. Uh, who's on today? Today, we have concert promoter extraordinaire Danny Zalisco. Now, Danny is probably not a household name because he's one of those behind-the-scenes guys. Uh, But he is responsible for putting on over 34,000 concerts over four decades in the Phoenix, Las Vegas, and Southern California area. Um, I think this is going to be a fascinating conversation. 
Wow. Yeah. Um, it, it brings back a lot of memories. We've talked about this a little bit, like on the tail end of my, my time with the, the music business, I, I started leasing out nightclubs. Um, and this basically began with, you know, me you know, reaching out to somebody that owned a club and I would take the, the door, they would take the bar and I, and I would um, bring in the talent. So I would hire a couple of bands to play and that kind of thing. Um, and then I would take the profits from that and roll it into the next one and the next one. Um, the very last one I did was I, I booked Bon Jovi at a place called Sunrise Musical Theater down in Fort Lauderdale, which was a, a fairly small venue. It only held like about 5,000 people. Um, it's a nerve wracking business because, you know, you're putting out the dollars to, to bring in these people no matter what. So, you know, as a concert promoter, he's hiring, you know, whoever the band might be. Um, he's paying them their fee and that, that all happens, you know, months, you know, sometimes years before the show actually takes place. Then you've got to go out on your, out of your own pocket and rent the venue. Um, and then you, you know, literally just count those tickets as they, they sell and hope you, you end up in the black. Um, it's scary. Um, and, and there's only a handful of people that I know of out there that actually do it. Um, but you know, it's one of those things when you buy a concert ticket, you don't, you don't think twice about it, but there's somebody in the background that's, that's putting it all together. And this is the guy. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I know it's, uh, it's, it might seem odd on the surface to have him on the writer's ink, but he just wrote a book. Uh, he wrote sort of a, I don't know if it's a memoir. It's sort of a partly memoir, but it's called all excess. And it's sort of, uh, the behind the scenes, uh, backstage antics that this guy has witnessed over decades. And, uh, and there's some crazy stuff in there. Like, you know, he had to make a, a weed run for, for muddy waters. And like, you know, his mom was hitting on Ringo star at one point. And like, there's just some wild stories. And, and I heard Danny on Eddie trunks podcast uh, a few weeks ago. And I was like, Oh, we got to get the, we got to get this guy on. Uh, he's a character. So I think this is going to be a fun conversation. Well, some of these people have some crazy stuff in there. It's called a rider. There's a document that, that circulate as part of the contract. And there's certain things you have to provide to them in, in their ready room. Um, so it could be a certain type of catering. Um, Motley Crue, I think was famous. I think it was them for, for not allowing red M&Ms. Like you had to have M&Ms, uh, but not Van the red Halen. ones. Oh, Van Halen. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, like those kind of things. And the band started to try to one up each other. And the thing was, if that was in the rider and, you know, if they said no red M&Ms and somebody actually found a red M&M in there, they, they could walk away without doing the show. Um, I don't know that anybody ever did, but that, that threat was, was always looming. Diana Ross was famous for if, if anybody on staff made eye contact with her, like they had to be immediately fired or, or she didn't have to perform, you know, like silly, silly stuff like that. Um, and all these things happening behind the scenes. So while you're parking your car, you know, and you're, you're buying your concessions and you're working your way to the seat, there's, there's somebody like Danny back there trying to make sure that, you know, he, he's plucking the red, red M&Ms <laughs> out of the bowl <laughs> and making yeah. sure that band gets on stage. Yeah. And, and I, and I remember hearing David Lee Roth one time talking about that decision and saying that it, it wasn't so much that they cared about the red M&Ms. It was that would tell them if the promoter or the organizer read the rider, right? Because if they didn't read it, then they could expect a lot of other problems, whether it was their gear on stage or load in times or other specifics like that. Yeah. Yeah. And the, and the, the lackeys are the ones that really had to suffer because, you know, if, you know, somebody like Danny, like if something like was brought up on the rider, he'd probably have to point his finger at, you know, some kid that was making, you know, probably half of minimum wage because they never paid anybody what they were supposed to um, and send them out on town to, to try and solve whatever this problem was at the last minute. And again, all this craziness happening while you're, you know, people are working their way to their seats. Yeah. Fun stuff. So this should be a fun conversation. Yeah. So here he is, Danny Zalesko. All right, man. So I'm looking to get a deal on a new waterbed. Do you know a guy? <laughs> Boy, do I know a guy. <laughs> would Would you like? Um, what was the kind of mattress? There was different types of mattresses, frames. Um, I, 
Yeah, I, I did. I did that to fill in. I mean, the things that you got to do when you're a concert promoter before you're actually deemed the concert promoter or a concert promoter, you you got to take some pretty wacky jobs. Selling waterbeds wasn't that far off, though, because it was at the time it was a cultural kind of a thing for the rock and roll genre. Oh, you know yeah. What I mean? Yeah. You know, those were the people that were having the, the so that was mid 70s. I would say by mid 80s, waterbeds were pretty obsolete, weren't they? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> it, it, it was a big business for a while, though. And and the guy who backed this Jeff Beckman Vishnu show, he was a psychologist who was crazy himself, um, but a good guy. Uh, and, and he sought me out to get this show. He heard some through somebody else. He heard about Beck and Mahavishnu touring together and he didn't know how to do it. And frankly, neither did I yet, but I, I was better than him at it. I knew I knew what to say and I knew who to hire to make me look good. <laughs> um, so that's that's how that started. He says, what do you do? when you're not doing shows. And I mean, I'd had five shows over the past five years. I go, well, whatever I want or, you know, whatever I can, or I, you know, I, he goes, do you need to make money? I said, yeah. And, and he hired me. So I, I became one of their top salesmen. Um, I forget what my best week was, but I'd work five, six days a week there. And, uh, Oh, you know, what thing I didn't tell you about was there is a, a, a hotel at seventh Avenue and, um, Camelback, right down the street, 10 blocks away. And there was this little hotel there. I don't know what's there now. And uh, it was like a Holiday Inn type of place. And a lot of businessmen stayed there. This was way long before Phoenix had all the nice hotels in Paradise Valley and Scottsdale. And and uh, I went. I would go over there for drinks after work or for a break. Sometimes we go over there and have dinner. And somebody there was doing lingerie shows <laughs> at six to seven o'clock. They, so I got hired for $10 per hour. So I got 50 bucks per week and I emceed lingerie shows. It was ridiculous. I mean, the stuff that I got away with saying and oh, and the girls that I met too. Oh my, um, you need some help getting that on dear. Um, anyway, so yeah, that was this, that was the seventies. That was yeah. part of the 70s. You know, I mean, things really, it, it took so long to catch on and click. And it seemed like forever. I was, I was just talking to somebody else earlier today, uh, my, my physical therapist, actually. And we were talking about, you know, he, he was asking me about my memorabilia collection. And uh, I said, I've got thousands of things. And he goes, really? He said, I thought you would have had hundreds. I said, Troy, I've done 12,000 shows over 44 years. Um, I, and I got something at every show that right there is just 12,000. Yes. But think, think of the ones I got 10 and 20 pieces, t-shirts, posters, eight by 10 set lists, guitar picks, you name it. So I'm starting to move. I'm starting to sell that stuff too, because it's, it's time for other people to enjoy the cool stuff that I collected all this, all these years. Nice. Nice. Well, that's, uh, I, I wanted to ask you about the waterbeds because it, it ties into something I want to talk about. Um, I want to I read just a small snippet from your book and ask you a question about it. Um, okay. You wrote, if you want to succeed in any kind of business, you need to be open to taking risks. Sometimes that might mean being willing to strike out on your own. Other times it means taking a shot at something outside your comfort zone and seeing what happens. Now, I read that 
and also read the story that Bill Graham offered you to be sort of his number one, number two partner, and you turned it down. So can you talk yeah. about that? Yeah. Um, well, you know, when, when that happened, it was the end of the 70s. Uh, excuse me, end of the 80s. And by that time, I had secured this market and wrapped it up pretty damn tight. Um, it, was, it was here, Tucson, Albuquerque, and Las Vegas, all by myself. And, and I had, you know, my, my partners were in Chicago, but they, they had very little to do after a while with, with whatever I did, but they just reaped the benefits, which was good for them. They were in the right time at the right place for me as I was for them. And it really didn't cost them that much. I mean, I didn't have to go through a college education of losing for them because by the time they got me, I'd already done a bunch of club shows on my own. Um, so, uh, um, I went up to San Francisco after we did the dead in 87 at Compton and we did 17,000 people and Bill was out of his mind happy. He, I mean, I never seen him with smile and laugh with teeth before. That's how happy he was. Right. And, 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 uh, we, we hit it off so big earlier. We were friendly before, but that's what cemented it. That show is what did it. Um, and, uh, I was trying, and, it, and it's still in my closet. I'm, I've been, I was trying to get my brand off the ground, which was called Regular Guy. And it's like a little regular guy kind of. The clothing line, right? I, I had, a, I had a, a clothing line. I had a golf, cor a, a golf tournament every year called the Regular Guy Invitational. And all kinds of people from the business, you know, would, would play their John Barrick and Arnie Granite and Doc McGee. Uh, Les Garland, who started MTV, Michael Cole, real big names in the business. And, and some artists, Tommy Lee, uh, Justin Timberlake played one year. Uh, and, and the girlfriend of the guy in NSYNC, what's, what's the, the, the Latin guy in uh, NSYNC? His girlfriend was the one from uh, Ava Longoria. And she drove in my golf cart with me the whole game. We had a blast. <laughs> and this was before she was on that show. That's how long ago it was. And she was kind of a, you know, she, she didn't look like she does now, man. Let me tell you, um, she did a, she, she's done. She's beautiful. She was beautiful then. Anyway. Um, I wanted Bill to be the first regular guy. I wanted to take Bill wearing my regular guy stuff to some clothing people go, you know, start in San Francisco, for example, or New York or both. Cause everybody knows him there. And this was the 80s. So, you know, now that's 20, 33 years ago. I mean, it's yesterday. Okay. Yeah. So, but, but 33 years ago, put him that much closer to his legend with the Fillmore's and, and, and all of his exploits. Now, you know, I mean, he was 91, I think 91 the other day or 90, one or the other, if he was alive. <clears throat> so I asked him to do that and they turned me down. And that's why that letter's in the book. I put that in the book, didn't I? I think yep, I did. I think from, so. From yeah. Del Ferrano. Uh-huh. So yeah, they passed on it, but that's when he asked me about coming to work for him. And I go, well, what am I going to do with these guys in Chicago that I'm partners with? And, and I, I don't, I mean, I've already, he goes, we can run Phoenix from here. And, and he was treating Phoenix just like it was treated all along, which was like a secondary market, a place that you drop into when you have your own home, home state or home city 
show confirmed. You know, like I, I always want to go to, I still go to Vegas. I still go to Albuquerque, but now I go all over the place. It's more about the groups with me now where I'll, I'll take Chicago or Frankie Valley or Alan Parsons or Johnny Mathis, Willie Nelson. I'll go anywhere they want to go anytime because I love their company. I love their audiences and, and I love promoting them. They're very easy to market in many ways, unless of course the show isn't selling. And then I go into my, what the hell's going on thing. You know, Willie Nelson's coming. Why do I still have tickets? You know, I mean, an hour with Willie is the greatest. It's the best. I mean, it's, it's such great therapy to be in these guys presence, whether you're with them or watching them on stage. Um, and which is why I still get excited about doing this, you know? Um, so anyway, that's, I, I thought about Bill goes, you didn't even ask how much I was going to offer you. Mazel tov. <laughs> I mean, I, as, 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 as sure as I'm sitting here right now, I remember that like it just happened. And I walked away from that going, what did you just do? You know, but the fact was I was rocking it here so hard. I mean, we were doing 300 shows a year at that point. Um, everybody, all, and I, we were, I was doing all the new acts, all the club shows, plus all the established stuff, MOR type normal stuff. I did rap. Uh, I, I did, you know, everything. We did it all. And so that's why I didn't, I didn't want to do that. It's like, and then I'd be working for somebody. You know, I'd be upending my whole life in the middle of the best role you could ever have. It's like, when is enough enough? And, and that's kind of like how I felt. Um, there, there's been a few other opportunities like that as well that were either snatched right out from under my nose or that I passed on. And uh, you can't do everything, and you, but you can be good at some things. But you're not going to be great at everything. You're just not. Well, I think, too, but, an, another key decision that I took from your story was you uh, you decided that you wanted to be a support person. And I, that's not an easy decision to make. You auditioned for Frank Zappa and, yeah. and, and didn't get it. And then it, it seemed as though you realized like, okay, I'm not going to be a rock star, but I can still be part of this industry. And yeah. uh, can you talk us about, about that decision? Well, you know, I, I'd always loved um, the concerts. As in Chicago, I got to see Frank multiple times. My, my first real years of going, going to concerts was 70 when I was, I guess I would have been 15, 16 in there. Um, yeah, it's gotta be earlier than that, maybe 69. But I, it was, if it was 69, that was very early on. I go to the Aragon Ballroom in Chicago, the Auditorium Theater downtown, which is still one of my all time favorite halls. I wish I could put a hitch up to that thing and take it wherever I go. Uh, that's where we saw Pink Floyd in 1972. Um, and, and I have that recording. I talked to Roger last night. He's so fantastic. I love him. Is he still asking for the tape? Or no, he, he gave you the no, tape, Brad, No, no. Right? I asked it and... him, get this. I asked him last night, could we put it out? He goes, you really want to? I go, we can give all the money away. We don't, you know, we'll look great. Let's just give it away. He goes, um, he goes send it to me again. And uh, let me let me have a listen. You know, he, every time I'm around him and he's heard it, and it's been several times, he goes, Shh, "Shut up! Who's that band? They're awfully good, aren't they?" <laughs> and and they're at their absolute peak, greatest on stage because it was it was the last time that it was just the four of them. 
you know, and then from then on, as things got bigger and bigger, uh, you know, they they had extra musicians on stage after a while, and the girl singers, the sax guy. Um, but this is this uh, this recording is pure Floyd, and and I think it should raise millions of dollars for something. Um, so I, I'm glad you brought that up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, what else? Well, so um, I'm sorry to be a little ditzy. I'm, I, no. I did take a. I, I had to take an oxy before we started doing this. I, I know it's not a popular word, but if you want to see my knee. <laughs> Yeah, let's make this a good interview. Yeah. Oh, look at that. Oh, yeah. Yikes. How about it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Definitely keep some mice on that. (laughs) They did this thing with these, it's called robotics. Instead of just, you know, going in there and sawing your knee off, which is what they did to my other knee six years ago. So now I have a new one. This is the latest and greatest uh, technology. And I mean, I'm walking. I was walking two days after wow. one day. I mean, literally walking unsupported. Um, at first, I used a walker. I don't need one. And and uh, although when I'm in when I'm in the med area, I should probably use that walker because it's <laughs> just you know it's it's not like it it feels good to do that because you're it, it leaves a little spaciness that I don't really care for. Yeah. And then people want me to make money decisions about things. And I don't remember to the next minute what I just did sometimes. It's, <laughs> it's weird. You know, I mean, being, being this age and under, under the medication of, of heavy stuff, you know, and this pain, which is going with it. So uh, anyway, well, I appreciate you showing up through all that. That's super cool. Hey, you know, I, it was perfect. I, I got to see my, my old physical therapist, uh, Medicare won't pay for this guy that I like to go to because, and he won't, he won't bill them because they take 90 days to get paid. So that's the problem with Medicare. If you have a favorite doctor, you know, you don't get to go if you want it to be paid for. (laughs) So, so I have another thing set up and um, anyway, I just came from him and I figured I'd be all freshly bent. (laughs) That's why I put him in front of you. So I could be a little chill. Otherwise I was so stiff this morning. I'm better now. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the book for a little bit. Can you, can you tell us a little bit about uh, how the idea for the book came up and, and how you wrote it and and the team, I know you had a team that helped you out with it as well. Can you just talk about that process? Sure. Um, I've been wanting to write a book for years um, because the stories have always been there. And the memorabilia is is here. I mean, at one point I thought of making like a coffee table book just of the memorabilia, which I still may do. Um, but there, these books are very, very expensive. The way I did it is, is a very expensive process because I wanted it to be on high quality paper. Um, and I wanted to put the pictures in with the story to help tell the story rather than have a photo section at the back of the book you know, make everybody go look back. Well, what was that about again? You know, the, I, I like when I go A through Z, page one to page 350 or whatever, I want to do it in order. I don't mind dropping in and looking at things when, you know, when I first pick up a book and I decide whether or not I'm going to read it by doing that. And then I start at the beginning and finish. And and the story is really best read that way because there's a, there's a timeline to it. The thing that stopped me from writing for so long was I felt like I had to recall everything in order. Mm-hmm. 
in order to tell it. And the fact is, I mean, I should know better, but I, and plus I was just really busy. Um, um, up until 2011 for, for that 10 years, 01 to 2011, I was, um, I was working for other people for that 10 years when I sold my company in 01. So those 10 years were totally different than any years that I'd spent before in this business. And then in 11, I find myself starting over again, which was really hard to do, but in some ways it wasn't because I'm already, some people know who I am already. So, um, so I'd, I'd always played with the idea of it. And then one night um, in 2016, around Labor Day, um, I wanted to watch uh, my friend Bill Walton who came on to uh, Shark Tank with a buddy of his, and they were pitching some product that I'm, I, I don't remember. So I, I turned in Shark Tank, and I like that show a lot. It's a very, very good show for people uh, to learn about how to do businesses and be entrepreneurs. And I, I've, I actually danced around with the idea of going there, but I, I didn't want to, who needs it? <laughs> um, anyway, uh, on that show was a ghostwriter and from Boston. And uh, I called him the next day. I looked him up on, online and I found him and I called him the next day and we made a deal for him to be my ghostwriter. And what he started doing was he said, well, write down a list of your favorite things or your favorite people, people that you want to talk about or incidents that you want to talk about. And I'll call you up. We'll talk for an hour each time and, and give me everything you can on that. And in some cases, stories bled from one subject or topic or artist to another, but they were still kind of involved. And you can kind of see that in there when you read it. Um, for instance, the comedy section with Rodney and Sam you know, but Rodney was the one <laughs> responsible for me meeting Dyson Kinison. Right. You know, I mean, th three of my all time favorites. Um, and, you know, so that that happened. And, and then what was supposed to happen is we were going to edit everything, put it, and we got it into a working order of, from the years, which were obvious. So I didn't have to write it in order. That was torture, trying to think about doing it like that. But just saying, okay, here's a story that happened last week. And here's a story that happened 10 years ago. You put them down and then you just move them around and edit it, right? So then the process... Uh, what interrupted the process was this guy, Michael, who's a great guy, sold his company and me with it to somebody else. And they put me onto some other people like, like he's exchangeable. And with people, I mean, with parts, yes. Like my knee, you can exchange my knee. <laughs> but I, you can't exchange a relationship that you've already got because you're in, in the writing thing. I mean, you're, you're trusting somebody. And, and you're opening up to them about everything. And suddenly you got to meet somebody else by phone. And, and, and I never met these people. So the follow-up from my end and their end was miserable. Michael had already made the money for me, not them, but it was part of, of an asset of his company. Um, I don't know why they just didn't blow me off altogether. And I should have sued him. But I mean, I'm not, I'm not a litigious type of a guy. I really hate all that. But he, he screwed me. You know, I, I never signed anything saying I would go with him if he sold. I would I would I would have said, no, I want to stay with you or I don't want to do this deal, no matter how good you are. You know, it's just like, you know, anything. I mean, you know, sometimes you you you, you have to uh, draw the line on what you know, what you'll go with and what you won't.
So that didn't work out. So we kind of went back and forth over the next couple of years. And then the pandemic hit. And, and, and last year I was working on it with this lady, Rita Gentry, who worked for Bill Graham for 30 years. Uh, and is one of my best friends. And she flew down here several times for a week at a time from San Francisco to help me organize it. And, uh, you know, so she was, she was uh, a major player in, in getting that done. Uh, and then when the shit hit the fan here in March, um, Tondra here in my office started, uh, she got involved with the editing thing because I mean, as of March 13th, we were shut from shows. And I mean, we had John Fogarty on the 15th loaded in sound check bands eating and the show gets pulled by the state. Wow. Six, six o'clock at night. Wow. We had to tell them to pack it up and go home. Um, so since then, um, you know, it's like, I'm going, well, what's everybody going to do around here? We have no shows to promote. I mean, all we, all we're doing now, Miriam here in my office does all the avails and talks to the agents with me about setting dates and, you know, placing the holds on the facilities and so forth. I mean, that we do that. I mean, that, that's about, you know, and then people are, people are here and, you know, and, and they're, they're kitchen, kicking in with everything that they can. Um, um, a cause, another girl here uh, helped with the pictures and, and I got a guy, Scott Phelps, who used to work for the governor who's retired. And he said, my wife wants me out of the house. So I'll come in and help you. He comes in five, six hours a day for nothing. And I got to find something really cool to give him. But he's been coming since February, I think, you know, for nothing. He just on his own and he just loves it. He, he loves playing with the stuff and organizing it. And, you know, cause it's so cool. It's like, wow, look at this grateful dead poster, you know, or look at whatever, you know, and, and uh, he loves showing me the new finds. Cause I, I mean, I've seen pretty much everything I have maybe just when I got it, but I remember most everything. It's really weird. I mean, but I, I can, you know, um, I got this, um, I'm doing another auction soon. And uh, I, I bought stuff for quite a while. When I had some years back, I had cancer and, and I had a lot, a lot of time on my hands at home. So um, I had my computer there and I, I just started buying stuff. One year I bought $500,000 worth of stuff. Oh, wow. Really cool stuff too. So now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to unload that along with some of my own stuff. And, and But it's a great collection. I would love so much to get like 20,000 square feet somewhere and bring everything in there and display it and show it to people because it, it really is a sick mind if you want to know the truth. But it's it, it, because it's just, it's so encompassing. A friend of mine that's no longer with us, he, he died from cancer. Uh, he says, you know, the thing about your stuff, he goes, it's not that it's just cool or that it's yours, he goes, the depth. Because <laughs> it's like one room door would close and I'd bring them into another. I had Alice Cooperstown, uh, the restaurant downtown that's been closed now for a couple of years, but that was all my stuff in that restaurant. And then down the street at the Dodge Theater, um, I had over 500 items on their walls. Um, and when, when we split up, I said, do you want to keep this stuff down there and keep paying me uh, they gave me $1,800 a month uh, because I'm, I'm storing this stuff. There's a lot of costs involved with this. Um, I've been spending $2,500 a month for storage for five units for the last 25 years. Oh, wow. So add that up. I mean, you know, but that was to preserve 
this and to keep it, not just throw it away or give it away. Um, but I've maintained this thing and it's in great shape and it's in great order. And uh, I'm very proud of the collection. I, I mean, it's just a completely separate thing. But anyway, they didn't want this, me to leave the stuff at the Dodge. They just wanted me out of there. So I took everything down and then Cooperstown clothes. I took everything down. I left the live nation office, took everything down. So all the stuff that I've had the ability to display in one way or another, in one location or another, I no longer have. So it's in my house, you know, uh, where I have stuff. And, and, uh, and so, it, you know, and otherwise it's in storage and um, everything's in storage. And I would love to let it out before I, I get rid of it, you know, um, because the bottom line is <clears throat> you can't take it with you, as they say, literally. And, and I don't want to because I've had it around me for so long. I would really get off on seeing. Uh, first off, I'd be I get off on getting the quarter of a million dollars back that I've spent in storage because <laughs> that's about what it comes out to. Um, yeah. So. Uh, it's it's a it's a real process but um i'm enjoying it cool cool well um as we kind of bring our conversation to a close i have a, a fun question for you and i can't think of anyone in the world who's more qualified to answer it than you uh i'm dying to know what you think is is on the horizon for the live music business in the next uh, 12 to 18 months you know i i waffle about it you know like i, I was driving down the street uh, on the way here today <clears throat> and and you hear 40,000 dead in two weeks um, and it's the worst that it's been. We're, we're at the absolute worst pinnacle peak. Um, I almost feel embarrassed about talking about getting people together because it's just so obvious of how bad this is. Um, it's got to turn around. I mean, I, I pray that that some of the karma of a new administration coming in is going to help people heal and feel better about things in addition to the pandemic. Um, I, I, I really believe that they will. Um, I, I mean, after what we just had to endure for the last five years of this guy in our face, um, I'm sorry for anybody who, who likes him. I'm sorry for you if you like him. Because you, you, not you personally, I mean, right. you in general, because your, your, your eyes are closed and your ears are plugged up. You're not hearing and seeing what is, is taking place. If you're still supporting, there is no reason to support him. Um, I was making money long before 2016, you know, he didn't put one more dime in my pocket. And if he did, I didn't, I didn't need it. I didn't ask for it. Um, but, you know, I, I, here we are 10 months later and we're worse than we were when it started because a lot of people ignored a lot of stuff. Um, and here we are. So rather than looking backwards, I'll look forwards. I had hoped for Memorial Day. No way. Not a chance Memorial Day. Maybe Labor Day. I like after the summer is over. The problem is with this is that all these human life events keep taking place, such as Christmas, Thanksgiving, weddings, funerals. So you, you do all this other stuff. There's no, you know, hardly anybody in ball games or sports. 
it, it, there's so many weird double standards going on about how this thing is being treated from the public's view. I mean, there's nobody running the show. Now, hopefully there's somebody running the show. Um, and, and it's still going to take some time, but you know, I, I don't see, because think about it with the, sh with the groups that are out there, they, they will play the big places, uh, the sheds out there, the amphitheaters, the arenas, stadiums, whatever you're mobilizing hundreds of people to, it's like going to war. It's like an army. Uh, the, the things these amazing production managers put together and how they move these shows in and move them out and multiple stages, multiple sets of production. It's like flip-flopping. It's, it's incredible. They should be dispensing the vaccine, by the way. That's what should be going on. Jake Berry, who does U2 and the Stones and whoever, and Opie, who's been out with Lollapalooza and Guns N' Roses, all these giant bands, they move armies every day. And, and people are going, how are we going to dispense this stuff? Call them up. They're out of work. I mean, I, I've been saying this to anybody that will listen to me. So I'm saying it again. Um, things would get done a lot sooner if we could deliver this magic potion that's going to keep us from dying, you know. Uh, and, and, and God, who, who even knows if that stuff's going to work? We've got to wait and find out. You know, I mean, are people getting the vaccine and just immune to it? Fantastic. Bravo. I hope so. Um, I mean, I would really like to see shows by the end of this, before the end of this year. Um, you know, we all have the same crystal ball and it's all about cooperation. And, and I think being friendlier in general, the tone in this country needs to get back to being friendly like it was before goofball took over. Um, he's made everybody arrogantly upset and mad about so many things. You know, and I mean, that's great if, if you're a private citizen and you want to be that way and talk to your family that way and be around people and be that way. But when you're the president, it's a bigger, higher standard. And, and I, I've grown to respect that office more than ever lately. And I look forward to somebody occupying it that knows how to set the controls, you know, and let their people who they hire for these fantastic jobs, let them do their thing. Let them be the experts that they are. Manage them. And, and I mean, I don't go in doing production at shows. I'd rather not do advertising, but I still do it uh, and promote. And I mean, I like coming up with ideas of how to do things, but I don't, I don't touch the ticketing. I don't write checks. I sign them. So, I mean, I've got my own little thing here and, and, uh, and it works and, and, it, and, it, and it'll work again for the government too. I'm, I'm certain of it. Uh, I, I mean, there's only, not even two more painful weeks. We'll still be hearing about this guy and hearing from him, but he won't be in a position to do anything anymore. And that's the safe part. That's what makes me able to go to sleep a little bit better. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll stay optimistic about the future and, and hopefully get those live shows back as, as soon as you possible. Know, I'll tell you one other thing is like what, what's incredible and what's so impressive is how many people have kept their tickets from all the shows we had booked in 2020. Um, I, I, I haven't done a, a, a recount lately on, uh, to see where we were a few months ago. But, I mean, we did a thing where if you wanted to keep your ticket for the show, you had 30 days to, sit, to return it if you wanted to get rid of it. If you just weren't sure you could make it or you needed the money and, and up to 30 days. So after 30 days, it's your ticket. You're going to the next show whether you like it or not. Right. And, and they like it. I think they've already gone through the ticket buying process 
and they have their seats and they have their, and then we apprise them of the new dates as they come on and everybody's holding them on, holding on to them. And, and I, because I've, I personally, I've thought, Jesus, what am I doing? What am I going to do here? Well, all these people are waiting for shows I promised them. So I'm going to hang out and deliver them. I, I sure hope that a lot of them are the, you know, I, I, maybe some smaller stuff can happen during the summer because the smaller groups or the ones that, you know, aren't huge with the production stuff, maybe, um, you know, they can be assembled on shorter notice if in fact we get to the place where that's, you know, we can figure out a system of how to do it with masks, without masks, separated, not separated, bigger places so you can have more people and separate them and, you know, all that stuff. It's not exactly perfect, but it might be better than nothing for some, for some shows. But, you know, for the auditorium type shows, I, you know, people got to sit next to each other. You can't leave holes. Um, and uh, it's different with general admission, I guess. But we'll see. You know, I mean, it, it's like I don't think we're even close to figuring out a start date yet. Um, let, you know, right now you've got the, the, the first group of people that are frontliners and the older people. And then I'll be right after having the semi-older people. But um, it, that's going to take months to do that. And then you got I think you got to kind of sit there and watch and make sure, like, what's the percentage of anybody getting it even after they've been vaccinated? I mean, we gotta know that uh, in order to proceed with putting mass assembly events together. So once we get through that, I mean, it'll happen as fast as it can, believe me, but it's not gonna be soon enough in, in my mind and your mind, a lot of people's minds, you know, it's ugh, it's such a drag, you know? Well, not, that's, uh, yeah. I mean, like I said, we'll, we'll just stay as optimistic as we can. Uh, Absolutely. Any, any parting words of advice for someone who's thinking about uh, writing their first book or their memoir or just capturing their stories in print? Well, like I was just saying, it, it, in recap, it's like, just start talking into a microphone. But what's really helpful is if you have somebody who's like a really good friend or, you know, somebody, we all have people we like to talk to long distance and you tend to be a lot more excited when you're talking because you don't see them and talk to them all the time. Record those calls, record the calls because your friends will get your honesty out of you and your, your, the best stuff because you, you're, you're excited to tell your friends something that's going to make them happy too, you know, and you're going to, you're going to entertain them for a minute with your story and well, here's what happened. Um, so, and get them down on tape and then get it down on paper. There's programs where you can just put it in and it'll spit out that for you. Then go through it, correct your grammar. And the next thing you know, you got hundred pages or 200 pages. You, you can't go into it with the, with the idea, I'm going to go A to Z and write this book about my life or this story or whatever. You, you have to get it while you're inspired and you're thinking about it. And generally that happens when you're recounting a memory to somebody. And, and that's, it's that simple. I mean, I've looked at books all my life going, how did he just start like that? You know, he just starts, he's into it. He's gone. He's gone. She wrote this or what? And you find that it's the same thing. You figure out out of all those little chapters that you've created, you go, well, this is the one I want to lead with. This is like where I'm really going to get people's attention. Because you have to consider that too. The the I find that, you know, we're we're in the infancy stage of this book release. I mean, I, I'm looking for some more help in terms of publicizing it nationwide 
in all, and, to, and to any English speaking countries, um, especially uh, the UK, because it, this is one of those books, if you see it or read about it or hear about it and you're a real rock fan, somebody you know is going to buy it and then you're going to buy it. I'm not saying that a million people will buy it. I mean, at this point, I'd like to see me sell five or 10,000 units, which would be great. That would that would make me feel like I'm around the world. I mean, we sold them all over the place just through our, own, our little uh, DZPLive.com thing, um, which is where the original books are. But we just added Kindle and um, uh, print on demand for other places. We, we had a seminar, our first one that we sent to the UK cost more for shipping than the book did. I believe that. So it was like almost, a, the book was 40 bucks. Now it's 50 bucks. But the book was 40 bucks plus shipping was $45, $85. And, and I got a great note back from saying it was worth every penny. Thank you, blah, blah, blah. And the reviews on it have, have been just warm and, and nice and wonderful and very touching. And I'm very happy that people like it. I'd really like to get it in more people's hands, not so much just about, you know, to make money from it, which I wouldn't put it, turn away, but I, I think it's an important part of a lot of people's lives that go to concerts or are in the business, you know, or even if you're not in the business, if you, you know, just any regular person, I, I mean, it, it's my life, so I'm biased. I'm interested in it, <laughs> you know, and, and it's nice that other people are too, you know, but I, I'll tell you what, man, I've been told for you, you ought to write a book. You ought to write a book. And it's like, you know, you hear that all the time when you're around certain people and well, I guess it got through to me. So I'm happy I did it. It really gave us something fun to do, you know, uh, nerve wracking sometimes, but really ultimately fun. All right. Danny Zalisco. What a character, huh? This guy is something else. <laughs> so Oxycontin and waterbeds. <laughs> I think he, he pretty much summed up all the, the 70s in that one that one sentence. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> oh, yeah. So I, some of the stuff that he brought back, I mean, just craziness, like lingerie shows like that was actually big in Boca all the way up until the 90s in Boca Raton, Florida. Um, if, if anybody ever saw the movie Wolf of Wall Street. Um, where all those brokerage firms were at their peak in, in Boca Raton. Like this was the kind of thing that was happening on a Friday night. You'd go into a bar to, to play pool um, and there, there would be a lingerie show for like absolutely no reason. So I guess Danny was the guy who was putting those kind of things together. <laughs> um, how he found a ghostwriter through Shark Tank, that that amazes me. <laughs> but yeah. That, that's, that, that's kind of how that process works though. I mean, I, I used to get ghostwriter you know, gigs from people, like they would just come out of left field, you know, it's just people handing off your, your business card from one to the other, just word of mouth. So I'm guessing that's kind of how it came together. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, I think that's what I was reflecting on after talking to Danny and like having him tell his stories and uh, and having fun with it. But like, I, I was really thinking about, well, you know, what is the relevance to a listener of Writers Inc? Like, what is it about, Danny's process for this book that can be an interesting takeaway. And I, I loved his team approach. Like it, it sounds like that's something that he developed as a concert promoter decades ago. And he used that here. You know, he, he had a ghostwriter. He had people helping him with uh, the editing and the formatting. And, and he sort of created a team around it. And I think it's a good reminder, especially to indie authors, that you can't and shouldn't do everything yourself. Like uh, it doesn't mean you're not paying for services, but uh, you need a team. You need you need you need people you can go to that do certain things. And I think Danny is really good at recognizing what he's good at and what he has no idea about. And uh, and he gets the right people in the right positions. 
Yeah, that that's key really to any kind of business. It, and if you're you know like I'm a control freak, I, I love to do every little aspect of it, and I try to, and and that's hurt me, um, because yeah, there's only so much time in the day, and I I can't dedicate all that time to to doing these little things. So being able to delegate is is absolutely huge, um, in in that world, and also just to, to recognize, you know, he he found a ghostwriter through Shark Tank, you know, like the fact that he you know he he spied a, po- a potential opportunity and just you know went out there and grabbed it. You know, before before it slipped, and and now he's got a book. You know, like a lot of people wouldn't have even made that connection, and and that comes from that business mindset that he's he's obviously got. Yeah, he's been incredibly successful, sold businesses, has, um, you know, promoted and and uh, befriended many of the musicians of our generation, and uh, and it's it's you know he's a smart business guy. So I think even from that standpoint. Um, you know, his ability to connect and, and, and to connect other people and to find the right people uh, has paid off for him. So uh, it was a, a fun conversation. Uh, you know, uh, he's, like I said, he's a lively guy. He's the kind of guy you want to catch in a bar and just sit there for hours and ask him about, uh, you know, all these different events. But uh, thoroughly enjoyable and it was great having him on. Yeah, absolutely. And if anybody's interested in that world, I mean, it can be very lucrative, um, ghostwriting. Um, and you know, there's a lot of people out there that need that, you know, politicians, like I've written memoirs for politicians, I've written them for sports heroes. Um, you know, anybody that, you know, is not a writer, but has an interesting life is a candidate for that kind of thing. And a lot of times they don't even know it. You know, you, you sit down with that particular person and, and, you know, start talking to them. And, and, you know, if you do want to get into ghostwriting, maybe point out that you could help them write that book. Um, I've, I've talked to, to older folks at retirement homes that, you know, were in World War II. Um, some of the most fascinating stories I've ever heard, you know, from, from people that are, you know, sitting in a, a wheelchair looking out a window that nobody, you know, even considered talking to like the day before. Like you just, you, you see some of these people and you don't realize what their, their entire life was, was like and the stories that are there. Um, somebody, somebody should and, 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 you know, reach out and, and tell those stories. Yeah, I agree. And if, uh, as a final note, if you are a fan of concerts and you love music, then Danny's book is a must read because there are there are countless stories in there that are going to have you smiling. All right. So who do we have coming on next week? Oh, so next week we have an old friend of mine, Ann Charles. Uh, Ann Charles writes um, uh, like Westerns, uh, romance. She's um, mysteries. She's been around for a long time. She's a USA Today bestselling author. Uh, I met her probably over 10 years ago in some different promotions and uh she's she's really been big in the indie scene for for a long time all right well looking forward to it yeah it's, that's going to be fun all right to our listeners make sure you go to writersingpodcast.com and grab the free revision masterclass where you can see the storytelling process from beginning to end we'll see you next episode and have a great week of writing thanks for listening to this episode of writers inc Access the show notes and leave a comment at writersincpodcast.com.